Let us pray. O oh God, and instruct the hearts of the faithful by the light of the Holy Spirit. Grant us the same spirit to be truly wise, and ever to rejoice in this consolation with Christ our Lord. Amen. Mary, Mother of Mercy. Pray us. Saint Joseph. Pray us. Saint Peter and Paul. Pray us. Saint Therese.
great defender of faith, which we try to keep his memory alive wherever we go. His cause for canonization is now well underway in Rome. Bishop Sheen had a little something to say about just about everything. I don't know about you, but uh, I have been trying to follow a little at a time uh, the events of the presidential election campaign. And I'll tell you what, not to get political here or anything, but if you are not greatly concerned about what is happening to this country, the future of this country, I think there's something wrong with you. Amen? Bishop Sheen once said this, quote, A nation always gets the kind of politicians it deserves. If a time ever comes when the religious Jews, Protestants, and Catholics ever have to suffer under a totalitarian state, which would deny them the right to worship God according to the light of their conscience, it will be because for years they thought it made no difference what kind of people represented them in Congress, and because they abandoned the spiritual in the realm of the temple. End quote. Bishop Sheen, I believe, was a prophet. Bishop Sheen once said this, not one person in a thousand hates the Catholic Church for nationalities. People who hate the church, rather, hate it for what they mistakenly believe it to be. What is the Catholic Church? In the world today, at last estimate, according to the Catholic Answer Organization in San Diego, there are some 33,000 denominations churches that profess to be Christian. Yet only one can be traced historically back to Jesus Christ and the Apostles. Only one church had been founded immediately, directly and personally by our Lord Jesus Christ in the days of his public life on earth. Only one church has existed continuously for 20 centuries from Pentecost to the present. There is only one international, worldwide, united body of Christian believers in the world, only one united in faith, worship, and government. More than 50 times, 52 times to be exact, the Second Vatican Council stated that the mystical body of Christ and the Catholic Church are one and the same. Recently, a famous Hollywood producer, Oliver Stone, about atheists, called this the most hated, the most despised institution in the world. What institution do you think that Oliver Stone was talking about? Do you think that he was talking about the Mafia, or ISIS, or Al-Qaeda, or the Taliban? or Boko Haram, or the People's Republic of North Korea, or the Islamic Republic of Iran? No, he was talking, of course, about the Catholic Church. Um, our Lord 
said to the apostles, if you find that the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. He said, in this world you will have trouble, but fear not, I have overcome the world. One of the greatest Protestant scholars of the 19th century was John Henry Newman of the University of Oxford, leading figure of Church of England. At one point in his illustrious career as a scholar, John Henry Newman became fascinated, maybe even obsessed, with the controversy between Catholics and Protestants. So they came when he set out to discover for himself once and for all which is the true Church of Christ. For years, Newman studied, pondered, and poured over the best translations of the most ancient manuscripts of the sacred scriptures, the most authoritative historical documents of the early church, the writings of the earliest saints, the most immediate successors of the apostles, the early fathers of the church. Newman was a man of total intellectual integrity determined to follow the truth wherever the truth would lead him, he did not find what he was expecting. Newman, in fact, set out to debunk the claims of the Catholic Church. But with every passing day, the evidence became more and more overwhelming and compelling, and one day, all of England was shocked to learn that John Henry Newman had become a Catholic. As he wanted to become Cardinal of the Catholic Church, and uh, to become the greatest preacher of his time. What Bishop Sheen was in the 20th century, Cardinal Newman was in the 19th. He was beatified by Pope Benedict XVI in September 2010. Someone once asked Blessed Cardinal Newman why there is so much anti-Catholicism in the world. Why it is that the Catholic Church is so Saint Augustine once said, to love Christ is to love the church. 
No one can claim to love Christ and despise his mystical body. You know, when I was growing up in the 60s, outside of my own family, my own parish, I heard nothing but the worst about the church. I heard all the negatives, all the propaganda, and the cheap shots, and the slander, and it took me years uh, to break through the distortions to come to know the truth about my own Catholic faith. Something happened to me when I was in college that turned out to be providential. I had a good friend, a good buddy, and we were classmates in high school and in college. And when we got to college, uh, this buddy of mine had gotten involved with a very zealous evangelical campus ministry. And uh, he had always known that I was Catholic, and then he started to focus his attention on me and try to bring me around his way of thinking and convert me. And uh, we used to get into these big debates, these big discussions about the Bible. Now, neither one of us knew what we were talking about. But the good that came out of that was that it gave me some incentive, some motivation to start studying the sacred scriptures. And I was reading the Bible out of curiosity for the most part. But the good that came out of that was that when I began to study the scriptures, I got hooked on. And the more that I read, the more that I wanted to read, the more it began to make sense to me. The pieces began to fall into place for me. And I began to recognize God's plan for our salvation, for mine, unfolding in front of my eyes. God's definitive revelation in humanity. And it changed my life forever. It changed my whole way of thinking and feeling and acting. My whole outlook on life changed. And for me, there was a point of no return, a point of no turning back. And you see, that should make sense to you because the truth is compelling. You see, when you immerse yourself in the inspired word of God in the scriptures, the Holy Spirit will move you and you see where I am today. Now, in my family, we always had a great devotion to our Blessed Mother. So, the combination of my love of the sacred scriptures and devotion to our Lady, Mary in prayer, I believe planted the seeds of my vocation to the priesthood. Again, that should also make sense to you because we say Mary is the spouse of the Holy Spirit. So, when you combine the study of the inspired word of God, the action of the Holy Spirit speaking was in the scriptures, and the devotion to Our Lady. Well, that's going to bring forth Jesus Christ in your soul. Right? In the spiritual life, we say there's a simple equation. The Holy Spirit plus Mary brings forth Jesus Christ, just as it did at Nazareth. And I'll tell you what, believe me when I say this to you. Last day in the world I ever expected to be was a priest. 
You have told me when I was in high school, I would be a priest one day, I would never believe it. I would have thought that was the craziest thing that I ever heard of. If you had told some of the guys I hung around with back then, one day Casey's going to be, they would never believe it. When I became a priest, in fact, a few of my closest friends had nothing further to do with me. But you know what? Good Lord gave me friends, brothers and sisters, mothers and fathers, a hundredfold. Hmm? And let me say this to you also. You probably need to hear this from at least one of us from time to time. I love being a priest. I love being a priest. I would never want to be anything other than a priest. The priesthood is the joy of my life. I always say, if I had a hundred lives to give to Jesus Christ, it would still be far less than what our Lord deserves to have from me. I have no regrets. I thank God every day for my priesthood. Believe me. Talking about the church for a couple of very important reasons. The first is because I'm sick and tired of hearing the church being bashed out by the secular media. And friends, I think it's high time we started to stand up to defend her, especially from the pulpit. And the other reason is because wherever I go, I'm finding that more and more Catholics, especially younger Catholics, don't seem to have any real idea of what it means to be Catholic. No idea why they're Catholic. No idea what the Catholic Church is, what it's about, where it came from. No idea what sets it apart from all the rest. And because so many young Catholics don't even know the basics of their faith, they are going to become easy targets, easy prey. To fall victim. Every false ideology, every pagan moral aberration that comes down the road from the secular media. I have a friend, a good Catholic wife and mother, and she has uh, two boys in college. And she tells me that at the end of every semester when they come home, they tell her how much worse things have gotten on campus, how much more pagan things have gotten inside the classrooms and outside the classrooms. And they say to her, Mom, Mom, it is hard to be a Christian. Mom, it's not cool to be a Christian. And they say, you wouldn't believe how many kids tell us they're atheists. They say it's cool to be an atheist. Well, Mom's response to that is, it may seem like it's cool to be an atheist right now, but it's going to be hot in the next life. <laughs> <laughs> Little motherly wisdom there, huh? King David said in the Psalms, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. But we know very well, the vast majority of Catholic young people who lose their faith will lose it when they get to college, when they get to the universities. And sad to say, so many of our parents find out the hard way. Sometimes young people lose their faith in so-called Catholic universities. Universities that are Catholic in name only. That's the reality. Things are not good. You know, there is a joke, a really bad joke.
pressure. What is the second biggest Christian denomination in the world? Answer, Roman Catholics. Question, what is the biggest Christian denomination in the world? Answer, fallen away Catholics. Sad but true. Recent research study shows that now one out of every ten Americans is a fallen away Catholic. Here we are. Mm -hmm. Now, I want to take a minute and read you a couple more passages from the Bible. Those of you who have been coming know that many times I've quoted in the sacred scriptures, and in doing that, I want to leave you with kind of example to follow. Friends, I want to encourage all of you most strongly to read the Bible. Every Catholic should, and the church says, in fact, must read the Bible, study the Bible, know the Bible, and love the Bible. The saints have taught us through the ages that it is impossible to grow in the knowledge of the faith and in the spiritual life without the practice of spiritual reading and meditation, especially on the Holy Scriptures. Bible is God's written word. The word of the Bible are written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and the Bible is completely truthful. That is to say, when it is correctly, properly read and understood and interpreted, it communicates all errors. The Bible is divinely inspired and it is inerrant. That is a defined article of our Catholic faith. To deny that is heresy. And as Catholics, we have got to know the Bible better than our Protestant friends do. And we have no excuse not to know the Bible because the Bible comes from the Catholic Church. Are you surprised to hear that? It's an historical fact. The Bible, that collection of divinely inspired books of the Old and New Testaments, was put together by the Catholic Church. Out of hundreds and hundreds of early preaching writings, the early church had to determine which of those writings were divinely inspired and which were not. Which were authentically the Word of God and which were not. The ones that were accepted were pronounced to be divinely inspired by the authority of the church. The divine authority given to the church by Jesus Christ through the apostles and their successors. Friends, there are two sources of God's revelation of humanity. We have the Bible, God's written word, and the church, God's living voice. A living teaching authority established by Christ himself to infallibly interpret for us God's written word in the scriptures and to teach, govern, and sanctify the people of God. Now, uh, if one would say that it is the Bible alone, they say the Bible is the sole rule of faith, they are left with a gigantic, insurmountable problem. Because then you're going to have as many denominations as you have interpretations of the Bible. That is impossible. That's not what our Lord established. The church and the Bible, one does not stand without the other. That's why the Bible itself says, First Timothy chapter three, verse fifteen, that the church is the pillar and the bulwark of truth. You see, the Bible did not fall out of the clouds from heaven one day, like some Christians seem to think it did. It had to be put together and organized, and it took three hundred years to do it. It was preserved studied and defended and taught and proclaimed by the Catholic Church for over a 
thousand years before the first Protestant churches were ever formed. Now, some of our Protestant friends uh, pride themselves on being able to quote parts of the Bible in chapters and verses. And, you know, that's a great thing to be able to do if you've got the memory for it. But you have to remember, the Bible was not written in chapters and verses. The sacred writers of the Holy Scriptures did not write their books and epistles in chapters and verses. Those came later, much later. The Bible was divided into chapters in the 13th century by an Englishman, Stephen Cardinal Langton. Then, a hundred years later, the chapters were divided into verses by a Frenchman, Father Robert Stephan. But the point is this, who has the authority to do that? Who had the right and the authority to take the inspired word of God and divide it up into chapters and verses? The Catholic Church did. The Bible is our family album. St. Jerome, greatest Bible scholar in the history of the church, used to say, ignorance of the scriptures is ignorance of Christ. So again, we've got to know the Bible, use it to strengthen our faith, to defend our faith, and that faith on by own people. Now, when I say this, friends, believe me, I bear no ill will toward anyone. I have got no axe to crime with anybody. But I would say this to you. I would suggest to you that if you want to develop a greater love, a greater appreciation for the beauty and the inherent truth of the Christian scriptures, and Judeo-Christian revelation, all you have to do is read the Quran. Now, we should always have a profound respect for what other people hold to be sacred. But that having been said, it is always legitimate to make certain critical theological distinctions and comparisons. You gotta understand this. The Quran is nothing like the Bible. For example, in the Quran, there is no historical narrative. There is no gradual unfolding of God's plan for our salvation. There is no fulfillment of prophecy. They don't believe in the reality of original sin, so there is no theology of redemption. Islam is not a religion of redemption. There is no redemption because there is no redeemer. The Quran, we can say, is essentially a protracted series of statements. Rules for living. Statements about Allah. The Quran is, in a sense, the consummate book of rules. But one of my observations has been that the content of some of those statements, particularly those explicit exhortations to violence against the unbeliever, violence against the infidel here and now, references to jihad,
This cannot be denied. And of course, there is no Islamic magisterium, there's no Islamic pope, there's no authoritative interpretation of the Quran. It's all subject to private interpretation, every imam for himself. You see the problem involved, right? I would suggest to you that is why 90% of the world's armed conflicts today involve militant Islamic fundamentalists. Now, we cannot afford to be naive about these things for any longer. There is too much at stake in this. It's an eye-opener. If you don't believe me, don't take my word for it. Check it out. You read it yourself. You be the judge. Okay, now, that having been said, let's get back to the church. When we talk about the church, it is interesting to take note of the fact that our Lord used the word church in only two places in the Gospels. And I want to read you both of those passages because they tell something about the true nature, the true character of the Catholic Church. The first, the most famous, is from the Gospel of St. Matthew, chapter 16, starting in verse 13. And this is Jesus speaking to the twelve apostles in the city of Caesarea of Philippi, where he asks them this question. Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others Jeremiah, one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter said in reply, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus said to him in reply, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my heavenly Father. And so I say to you, you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Now this is the second passage, also from St. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 18, starting in verse 15. This is Jesus again speaking to the apostles. Jesus says this, If your brother sins against you, go and tell his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've won over your brother. If he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, so that every fact may be established on the testimony of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell the church. If he refuses to listen even to the church, then treat him as you would a Gentile or a tax collector. Amen, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Now, tonight, I want you to carefully consider our Lord's words to St. Peter in the Gospel. Jesus said, You are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Notice that our Lord did not say, Upon this rock, I will build your church, or you will build your church, or you will build my church. He said, I will build my church. Our Lord did not say, if your brother sins against you, and he won't listen to you, he won't listen to two or three witnesses, go and tell a church, or go and tell one or two churches, or tell two or three churches. He said, go and tell the church. The church. So the 
gospel shows us clearly. Our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, founded a church, a church that he endowed with the fullness of the divinely revealed truth, all the means of salvation. And it shows us what the church is not. The church is not an invisible fellowship of like-minded believers. The church is a real organization. More than just an organization, the church is an organism, a body, a living body with living members, and we are those living members by virtue of our baptism. And the church is a body that has been given very real authority, apostolic authority. And the center, the focal point of that apostolic authority is the see Peter. Centered upon the successor of St. Peter, who is the Pope. Who is Pope Francis I? He is the 266th successor of the Apostle St. Peter as the Vicar of Christ on earth, the Supreme Pastor of God's flock. That's where his authority comes from. Let me ask you this question. Why did our Lord establish Rome? Rome as the seat of authority for his church. Why did he send the two greatest apostles, St. Peter and St. Paul, to build up the church in Rome as the capital of the Christian world? Remember, it could not have been Jerusalem. It could not have been Jerusalem. Jerusalem was destined to be destroyed for its lack of faith. As our Lord had foretold in the Gospel of St. John, and so it was in 70 AD by the Roman legions. It could not have been Jerusalem, it had to be Rome. Recall that our Lord was rejected by his own people because he was not the kind of Messiah they were looking for. He was not the kind of Savior they were expecting. Not the kind they wanted. They did not want a spiritual leader. They were looking for a political leader, a military leader, an earthly king to free them from the tyranny of the Roman Empire. Rome was the focal point, the epicenter of evil in the ancient world. So it had to be Rome. Rome was the political, social, economic, military center of the ancient world. There was a saying in the ancient world, all the roads lead to Rome. So if you're the disciples, and you're going to evangelize the whole world, win that world over to Christ, what better starting point, what better springboard could you have than the city that dominated the world, Rome? Rome is an everlasting reminder to the world of who it was who conquered the Roman Empire. Not by force of arms, not by military conquest, but by love, faith, truth. Now, friends, unless you've been living on another planet today, you know very well. The church is going through some very, very hard times today. In many ways, these are times of great crisis and confusion in the church. Pope Benedict says, we are living at the time of the greatest crisis of faith in the 2,000-year history of the church. There are the Catholics, especially in the Western world, are under tremendous, relentless societal pressure to conform themselves to the pagan mores of our contemporary culture. 
that more Catholics died in the persecutions of the 20th century than at any time since our Lord founded the church? That's an historical fact. We only have to think of the 8 million Catholics who died in Ukraine under Stalin back in the 1930s. The millions of others who died in places like Russia, China, Lithuania, Poland, Spain, Mexico, Armenia, Albania, Korea. Today, once again, Christians are the most persecuted minority in the world, especially in the Islamic world. Of late, Christians have been murdered in these countries. The list is not all inclusive. Egypt, Libya, Tunisia, Yemen, Iran, Iraq, India, Pakistan, the Central African Republic, Kenya, Cameroon, Sudan, Saudi Arabia, Nigeria. Hundreds of Christian girls and young women have been kidnapped, sold into slavery. And the world turns a blind eye to all. In general, the secular media pays no attention. But the church endures. Through all the persecutions and all the wars and the revolutions and the upheavals and the disasters and all the different attempts to destroy her, and for every century, the church has proven that she can stand the test of time. The Catholic Church has withstood the acid test of time like no other institution in history. In the first 300 years after our birth of the Church, the Roman Empire, the most powerful empire the world has ever known, persecuted the Christians and drove them underground into the catacombs and millions were put to death. The first 30 popes were martyred for a died in exile. Today, Almost 2,000 years later, our Lord's promises still stand unbroken. And we remember what those promises were according to the Gospel. First, Jesus promised to be with his church until the end of time. Before he ascended into heaven, he said to the apostles, I am with you always, even until the end of the world. Our Lord personally founded his church and he gave his own divine authority to save Peter and the apostles he promised the gates of hell would never prevail against us. Think about this. If our Lord had to promise the gates of hell would never take out his church, you can be sure it was because he knew the gates of hell were going to try. They're going to go on trying until the end time. The devil's on rampage right now all the more because he knows this time is short. How about this? Our Lord promised the Holy Spirit, the Paraclete, the Spirit of Truth, will lead and guide His Apostolic Church, His Apostolic Union, in the fullness of truth, in all truth until the end of time. How many Catholics have stopped believing that? Yeah, how many are there in the church who think they know a better way than the one Christ established? Better law than the one God gave? Friends, think about this. How do you explain the fact that the doctrinal and moral teachings of the Catholic Church and the, only the Catholic Church have never changed in 2,000 years? And they never will change, no matter how much moral pizza's worth, it does. 
That should make sense to you because God does not change. The truth does not change. God is the truth. You know, there have been hot button issues for the church in every age. There have been deniers and dissenters, heretics and scoffers in every age in the history of the church. Today, the hot button issues center around sanctity of marriage, human sexuality, and human life. Right? Today, Maybe that the most hot button issue of them all is the attempt to redefine marriage. As now, for the first time in the 6,000 years of recorded human history, there is the demand for so called same sex marriage. But you know what? As Pope Francis has said recently again, you can't redefine marriage because God has already defined it for all time. Hmm? Friends, what is the definition of marriage from time immemorial? Here's what it is. Marriage is a sacred covenant, a communion of life and the love between one man and one woman collaborating with God to bring human life into the world. The fruit of their love for each other, two in one flesh. That's what it is. It is no longer than that. The covenant is sacred because human life is sacred. Made in the image and likeness of God the Creator. When God gives human life, He gives it forever. God brings every human soul into this world with an eternal destiny. Every human soul is unique and precious and unrepeatable. And sex, sex is the wellspring of life. If human life is sacred, then it stands to reason the means by which God brings human life into the world is also got to be sacred. And that is why at least every generation before this one understood that the marriage, marriage, has got to be legally, socially, and morally protected and respected as the covenant within human life is safeguarded. You see, let me put it like this. There can be no moral equivalence between sodomy and matrimony. One is a sin, the other is a sacrament. And if you don't understand that, we'll pray for you. Hmm? What can I say? Friends? I want to restate this basic teaching. Remember, many people got the idea that the church is like some kind of a political party or a social club where we just change the rules and make up the rules as we go. And somehow, 
we as Catholics are able to change our beliefs to make them conform to the latest public opinion polls. No. No. What the church teaches and what we believe as Catholics, we hold in God's definitive revelation to humanity. Eternal truth, eternal moral law, it does not change, it cannot change. God is the truth. The church, we said, we say this of course, without excluding anybody from the possibility of salvation, we never do that, we pass judgment on no one, but we say the church bears the four marks of the true church. The Catholic Church is one, holy, and apostolic. One holy, Catholic, and apostolic. Four distinctive characters and qualities that set her apart from all the rest. We focus on one. The church is apostolic, because our Pope, our bishops, our true historical successors of the apostles, their authority comes from Jesus Christ himself. The church, the Catholic Church, keeps, preserves a direct, unbroken line of succession, an unbroken chain of succession that links our bishops and priests with the twelve apostles. Friends, the church is the mystical body of Christ. The soul of the mystical body of Christ is the Holy Spirit. It is so pretty sad to see how many Catholics there are who care nothing about the defense of their faith and have no love for holy the church. All of us are called at this time in history, the time when we see the great universal rejection of faith. We're called to stand with our blessed mother at the foot of the cross. The Catechism of the Catholic Church teaches that in the last days, the days before our Lord's second coming, the Church is destined to suffer in a mystical way all that our Lord suffered at the time of His Passion. The Church will be abandoned, betrayed, denied, scourged, mocked, and crucified. Brothers and sisters, we are called to be faithful. Be faithful to her. Among our Lord's last words in the Bible and the Revelation are these, Be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life.
Right now, basically, in just a couple minutes, uh, go to join me downstairs. <laughs> 